Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Let's see. We're going to talk about the Haunt Universe, and Mac Maloney is here. Thank you for joining us today, Mac. Hi, Al. Thank you uh, for having me. So, Mac, um, uh, what are all your books about? How many books have you written? Um, to tell you the truth, I don't really know. It's over 50. Uh, uh, that much I do know. But uh, most of the books I've written are um, military adventure books, fiction books, and some science fiction books. But I have written a few, uh, let's say, paranormal nonfiction books as well. What, so so what, what late led you? Because um, I know about your series. It's called The Wingman. seems to be the, the right. real popular one. Um, right. But what led you to go to... Uh, some of the more paranormal stories or things like Haunted Universe and the UFO books? Mm-hmm. Um, well, the, the first one was uh, UFOs in Wartime, and that came out a few years ago, and that just came up over lunch with my editor. We were just, you know, really kind of shooting the bull, and um, I had told him that I was always interested in UFOs growing up as a kid. And my father was a World War II veteran, and he had a lot of World War II books around the house, and I used to read them too, and just in this conversation, I said, you know, it seems like people see more UFOs during wartime than than peacetime. And he says, you know, that would be an interesting book. Would you want to would you want to do it, even though it's it was a nonfiction book? So I said yes, and uh, you know, we did it, and that kind of got me into the paranormal field. And I did another book called Beyond Area 51, which was about all the secret bases around the world, um, except Area 51. And then this one, uh, McInerney's Haunted Universe, is just it's just a collection of all the research I've had in my office. So over the years, we just you know, compiled it, and um, that's what the new book is about. So, so are we safe to say now, before you wrote um, The Haunted Universe, and before you started getting into some of this, were you, where did you stand? Were you a believer of... Um, hauntings. Were you a believer of ghosts? Were you a believer of, of UFOs? Um, where was Mac before he wrote the book? Okay. Good question, Al. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Um, I, I, as I was growing up, I wrote, uh, I mean, I read lots of UFO books. I'd go up to our uh, library, I'd go up in Boston, as you can probably tell, and I wrote, I read, I keep saying wrote, but I read Every UFO book they had there, probably more than once. And as a kid, it just UFOs just fascinated me. And there were there were um, uh, you know it was it was you know during a time where there was a lot of great B movies having to do with flying saucers and I just and things like that. And I just really just got caught up in it and have been like that you know all my life really. Um, just always had an interest in it. Always had an interest in the military, especially aviation and the uh, UFOs and wartime book. Just kind of, you know, just it was just a coupling of those two ideas, really. Wow, uh, but yeah, I, I, it's just kind of weird because um, usually people have some sort of ghost story or some sort of thing right. that happened to them. And I've never, 
Right. I've never seen a ghost. I've never seen a UFO. I've never seen anything you know, that you would call paranormal, but I'm really, really interested in it because I know other people have, and um, I, I'm just interested in you know who it happens to, why it happens, what it means, things like that. I just find um, I just find fascinating. So now, before we go through the book, ha- going through the book yourself and writing it and and getting it published. Are you different now about how you feel in the paranormal field as you were before the book? Um, well, this book, um, actually, uh, no, because I knew before getting into this book that just strange things happen, uh, you know, in our lifetime, in our reality all the time. In fact, the name of the book, it was a working title, it was a Haunted Universe, but then I thought, you know, that's not a bad name because... I, I was watching a uh, documentary on how now astrophysicists think that, you know, we're, we're one of an infinite number of universes. You know, that's like the new multiverse theory. Yeah. And and that, you know, they're, if, and they say if you can imagine a bunch of bubbles and a handful of suds, that's what, it, you know, they envision it to be. But I was thinking, and they said, you know, there would be just an infinite number of our realities, you know, where... Where you know, you know, who knows? There's one less piece of sand on the beach, or something like that. One less star in the sky. You're going forever. But I was just wondering. Well, it'd be interesting if all those other universes, everything went great. You know, everything. There's no ghosts. There's no paranormal. Whatever. And we live in the weird, you know, universe. How would we know? I mean, the weird, strange stuff happens all the time. So this book is just like a collection of all that. But after I did uh, UFOs and Wattan, just to answer your question real quick. I believed in UFOs then, but um, after I finished that book and my editor agreed with me, he said, you just have so many examples with so many good witnesses and so on. This is just during wartime now, too, that they can't all be making them up. They can't all be hoaxes. Something must have happened. And, um, you know, I just, once again, I find it interesting. I like writing about uh, stuff like that. Um, Mark, if, you, if I may ask a question, I was just thinking as you were talking that, um, and going back to when Al was saying usually somebody has an experience or they know of a somebody close to them that's had an experience that informs your own views going forward about the existence of the paranormal. Um, and, and you said, well, no, you just you really didn't believe, but there were so many different examples. That, that In order to even start to believe that those examples are the truth, you have to have some, some kind of an eye open to it. You have mm-hmm. to be to that so in terms of your own belief system as you grew up how how were you um i suppose what was your what was your belief system what were your values what was your religions base as you grew up uh well i grew up a um a catholic in a in a catholic neighborhood in boston i mean that's just the way it was and but we were all interested in you know the same things we were interested in um, you know, science fiction movies and stuff. But back then, it was mostly on TV. You know, science fiction books um, and uh, you know UFOs certainly. And um, uh, you know, this was in this. Uh, I'm dating myself, but you know, this was in the 50s, and, oh. and there was a lot of that kind of stuff back there. You know, back then, this was when I was a young kid. But you know, there was a lot of kind of UFO related stuff back then. And um, and then in a way, you know, it kind of roller coasters in a way. You know. Um, uh, the popularity kind of, you know, not waned, but it, it, it took a, you know, um, a, a huge leap, like when um, Close Encounters to uh, the Third Time came out, you know, all of a sudden people were interested in UFOs again, and, you know, so anyway, I've, 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 I've followed, you know, especially UFOs all my life, really, despite the ups and downs that the, uh, that it, it seems to take, the interest in it seems to take. So in, in terms of writing your books and researching, which I'm sure has taken you know, many hours of your of your life, um, how what was your most um, influential account of a UFO? Um, well, you know, there's a lot of them, but the one I always go back to is in 1956, there was a U.S. Navy uh, transport plane flying from Europe uh, to Maryland, and it was to stop in uh, Newfoundland at the end of Air Force Base to refuel. And about two hours out from Newfoundland, uh, the crew saw this enormous UFO. It was uh, 600 feet long, maybe 100 feet thick. It was enormous. And it came up, and it, and it flew right beside this airplane. Uh, now, what was interesting is that a lot of the people in the airplane, they were basically, they were air pilots themselves, air crews themselves that were just coming home for the holidays. Uh, they were you know, getting out of the military. So this airplane actually had uh, about 20 pilots on it 
they all saw this thing. They were all debriefed when the plane landed in Uganda and again in Maryland. This was a case that was investigated by Donald Kehoe, who was a Marine officer back in the 50s who came up and researched a lot of really good UFO stories. That one is definitely my favorite. And is that because of the volume of eyewitness accounts, or is it because of more factual information that we have? Well, you know, both, but definitely that there were so many eyewitnesses because we talk about this all the time. You know, the best witnesses for UFOs are military pilots. I mean, they're pilots in general, certainly airline pilots, but military pilots and airline pilots, they're in the air so often they see stuff, you know, that we might think is a UFO, but they know is Venus. You know, we might think it's a UFO, but they know it's a temperature inversion over an oil field or something. So when they see something that they don't understand, okay, that's a UFO. And the fact that these people on this airplane, 20 of them, including the air crew of the plane itself, saw this gigantic thing and that it's actually a pretty long story, but all of them said, or key members of the witnesses said later on that the government just showed them photographs and said, is this the UFO you saw? They had like a big book of photographs. And they said, is this one? Is this one? And finally they saw the one that they, that these people witnessed. And of course they said, well, what are you doing with a book full of UFO photographs? That was above their pay grade and they never found out. So yeah, that's really a good, the Ganda, they call it the Ganda sighting of 1956. That's a really good UFO story. And what percentage would you say of your research in terms of UFOs would also be linked to what we would only describe as an alien encounter? You know, see, that's a tough one because, you know, I think the person on the street would say, you know, if you ask them where the UFOs come from, that they would say that, you know, they're little green men from Mars, if you know what I mean. We don't know that necessarily. You know, we, that's just the conclusion that a lot of people jump to these days. I mean, back, UFOs have been around with us for, since history, for all of history. You know, some people saw lights in the sky, they gave them religious connotations or, you know, they thought they were witches carrying lanterns and stuff like that. So this is just kind of like the more contemporary interpretation. So it might not be aliens, you know, it could be someone from somewhere else, someone from this other universe, someone from our own time. You know, there might be time tourists just coming back to see, you know, how history is being made. You know, we don't know. Now, in your book, the new one, The Haunted Universe, you mention and you talk about a supernatural battlefield or battle going on. Could you explain that? Do you mean like a haunted human battlefield that is haunted or there's something in supernatural having a battle somewhere? Well, there's a number of battles mentioned in the book. Two of them just come to mind. There's a story of the Battle of Mons, which was at the very beginning of World War One. The British and the Germans came right up against each other. First really major battle of World War One. And the Germans force was twice the size of the British force. And they met at a village called Mons in Belgium. Now, just the way these things kind of go, the British prevented the Germans from breaking through the line. So in that way, that's kind of a victory for the British. Even though they eventually lost the battle, just the fact that they stopped the Germans was big news back in England and a big propaganda coup as well. Somewhere along the line, somebody started, well, some people think it was a pastor, some people think it was a newspaper person, started reporting that at the time, the reason that the British won was that right at the height of the battle, that this just a flock of angels appeared with arrows and bows and arrows, and they were helping the British slay the Germans. Now, this went on to even include people on the battlefield who said that they saw German soldiers with arrow wounds who had been killed during the battle. This took England like wildfire. People wanted to hear more about it. It was elaborated on and on and on. Exactly how it started, no one was really sure. Everyone has been blamed, including British intelligence, saying that this was a way to kind of get the morale of the people up and so on. Just an interesting story, the Battle of Mons. That really does have a supernatural 
uh, uh, you know, tinge to it. Uh, on the other, at the other end of the spectrum, there was a battle uh, in Belgium five years later at a um, village whose name I'm not going to try to pronounce, but it went on for about four months. There was so much artillery that they counted more than a million artillery craters just within a mile of this place. And it was the rainiest winter, uh, uh, rainiest summer of the uh, of this, for two centuries or so, turned all the earth to mud, to mud that was like you know uh, sometimes 12 feet deep, and and soldiers just got caught in the mud and were sucked down and never seen again. Um, uh, so somewhere there out in Belgium, there are just you know literally thousands of soldiers who disappeared that way, not not paranormal, but just just a just a bizarre way to go. Wow. So, so, so that's kind of a supernatural battle, um, but nothing with aliens, so to speak. No, the strange thing about aliens is, and again, I have to go back to UFOs in a lot of time, is that um, there are very few I can count on one hand the uh, number of like verifiable stories, if you can use that word, of aliens having any kind of uh, you know belligerent intent towards us or towards anyone. And I just point to the idea of um, UFOs during uh, World War II. They were called Foo Fighters back then. They were seen, you know, hundreds of times over Germany and also in the Pacific War. And what they used to do is sometimes they'd be balls of light, but other times they would just see flying saucer shapes and also cigar shapes. And they would follow the airplanes. They would follow like British airplanes as they were doing bombing raids over Germany in the middle of the night. And that's where they would see them a lot. But they would ride right alongside the uh, airplanes, but you know they never shot at the airplanes. They never had any kind of intent. Uh, they were just watching. They were just observing, and that that just gave me this idea. You know, they could be time tourists. They could just be coming back to see history being made. You know, how how would we know? But very very few instances where aliens or any kind of flying saucer took uh, you know action, took um, belligerent action against any human, any anyone. There are some stories, but they're they're actually a, a low percentage. Right, right. Um, the probing stories. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. Now, M Triangle. What is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, the M Triangle is a place in the Urals in Russia, and uh, it's a very isolated place. I think it's about forty square miles. It's it's basically fields and, and forests and mountain uh, kind of mountainous terrain. For years, uh, when the um, communists or the Soviet Union was still uh, intact, they uh, would not allow anyone to go into this place except the military or the security services, the KGB. And then when things kind of thawed towards the end of the 80s, the the Russian government allowed scientists and journalists to go into this place because there was always a a strange strange stories about this place. So anyway, these uh, expeditions would go in and they would report all kinds of lights, all kinds of UFOs, seeing strange creatures, seeing orbs, uh, the animals have no fear of them, so on and so forth. Uh, just, you know, really kind of strange stuff. You you know, um, uh, you'd, fall, you'd uh, camp over at night in the forest and you would hear traffic, you'd hear cars and trucks beeping their horns, and there isn't a road, you know, within miles of you. Um, things along those lines, but people would also say that they would get, they would get changed, like their personalities would change. People would go in there with illnesses and come out cured. Um, but anyway, there was this um, this one particular expedition. They would go in for two weeks, just to be a People magazine reporter uh, on the expedition. And she uh, talked about this guy who was a uh, washout from the Soviet Army, caught on as a job uh, as a journalist, went into the M Triangle. wasn't really the brightest bulb in the pack. But after two weeks there, when he went back to Moscow, he's writing his story. All of a sudden, he feels this incredible knowledge about astrophysics and within two years he was a cosmonaut now that's that's a that's a drop trajectory you know that you just can't imagine happened but it did happen to this guy and he says it's because he was in the m triangle no it sounds like a spy agency (laughs) well they say that the kgb is is in in now i guess they call the sfb yeah they're really involved in this place which really makes you think well, what is going on there? Why, why would it have their attention, you know? So, um, you know, just an interesting place. Yeah, yeah. Have you, um, have you ever um, come across anything in your research for your books that you haven't been able to put into print? And obviously we're not asking you to talk about mm. that detail, but, but has that happened? Um, only, only in the um, idea that, you know, for um, you know, all the books that I've done are... 
these uh, these kind of paranormal books. All of them are just collections of stories that I think are interesting and that somehow interact in a way, you know. And the only stories I haven't put in were ones that just you you, you get to a point where you have to put in the cream of the crop. You have to put in ones that you know that people are going to find, you know, really interesting or baffling or just crazy. And then once you pick them all, and there's a, you know, there's a, there's a word limit, then you have a lot of, you know, good stories that you that you can't use. Those are the only stories that I've ever, you know, not run. I mean, I've never seen any story that I didn't want to run, you know, for any other reasons than just, you know, uh, the length of the book. Okay, and, and have you had, um, in, in writing the book and, and, and obtaining information for the stories, um, how much research um, and interaction have you had with the people who have been either abducted or who have um, been eyewitnesses to right. um, UFOs? Mm -hmm. um, well, while I was doing um, uh, the um, second book, um, it's after World War Two, after UFOs in wartime, and before Area 51. I actually uh, got my uh, own radio show. I was on a uh, a radio network, and we used to talk to, you know, people every week, either um, UFO, um, you know, people who were witnesses. We talked to a lot of people who, um, you know, were abductees. And the thing about the abductees, and I keep bringing this up over and over, but what intrigued me about the whole abductee story is that. Um, there were um, two uh, uh, people who were these gentlemen who were researchers, but they were also hypnotists, John Mack and Bud Hopkins. I'm sure your audience has probably heard of them. And what they used to do is they used to hypnotize people who uh, said that they had been abducted. Now, a lot of the people actually, you know, had heard that, you know, unconsciously had heard the story and, and for whatever reason believed that it was their own story. But... These two guys were actually talking to people, hypnotizing people, completely independent of each other. But they would find out things that they decided they would keep secret. Okay, so because they didn't want to infect the pool, if you know what I mean. And one of the things that they never told anyone, but came out later on, was that a lot of people said that if they were abducted by great aliens, that the aliens had tattoos on their arms. And that is just something that you know you just can't make that up. You know what I mean? And the fact that you know more than two or three people actually said that you know you know um you know completely independent of each other that's just such an odd thing that um uh you know again that's i find that very interesting too and it is those similarities isn't it and, and um and sometimes sometimes the differences that intrigue us but the similarities and accounts where people have had you know no prior knowledge mm -hmm. Um, of each other is, is, is what really kind of brings right. us to conclusions. You know, it's very strange too, and, and, and because I think that there's a lot of ways that you could just say you were abducted and, and, you know, a lot of people would believe you, but there are people out there, and I've talked to them, where, you know, something has happened to them and it's, a, it's, an, it's affected their entire life, you know? Something has happened to them and, and has affected their entire life, and, um, you know, maybe that's just the way it was supposed to be. Personally, I think that. You know, like, I don't think I'll ever see a UFO. I don't think I'll ever see a ghost. But I know other people do. But I just think certain people see UFOs. I think certain people see ghosts, you know? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Why, why would they? Why would certain people? I don't know. You know, I wish I knew. You know, maybe it's in their DNA or, you know, who knows? But I know people who have seen ghosts. I know people who have seen UFOs. It's almost like I'm looking to, I'm looking for them too much. You know, it's, it, these things yeah. seem to happen to you when you're not looking. People say that, don't they? When they, I've known many people that talk about wanting to become and develop as a medium, and they go through countless development circles and they attend spiritualist church, you know, multiple times a week just to try and make a link and, and to mm -hmm. take patient and never quite get there. Right. And it it really does can lead me to um, that question of whether or not this is something that you are born to be able to do, or whether or not you can you can learn um, mm -hmm. to communicate. It's fascinating. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. You know, I, like I say, I know people who have that certain, you know, uh, what do you want to call it, spiritual side to them or whatever, however you want to say it. And and it just seems like these things come to them, you know. And, and like I say, not when they're looking or anything. It's, it's, it's just something that happens in their lives, especially people who see ghosts. And, um, you know, I, uh, I, I, and then I, there's the rest of us. 
So mm. one of the things that happens, I mean, you've done a lot of research into um, a you know, military background with, with you know, obviously military connection in the family. And one of the things that happens to me very often is I can be watching a remembrance service on television or even, um, I, I don't know, a couple of years ago, watching the Royal Marines band playing um, at a huge London venue. And I will get names of those people who have been killed in the war. Wow. And um, and I may not get, I mean, in fact, I was watching something the other evening on television and a couple of names come straight away. I, I Googled it. It was, it, I was literally um, watching something about World War One being so close to the um, the 100 year centenary. And I was, I was, I got the names and I Googled them. And sure enough, those names were among those that fell. Mm. And you can't just come up with those names. You know, mm-hmm. it's not a, a name that you can pluck out of the sky and, and then connect it. Um, right. You know, so it's quite, it's very random, and I may mm-hmm. not get more information than that about those particular people, but it's just the name that they want to be remembered. Mm-hmm. I, you know, uh, along the same line in a way, uh, I was talking to someone last night. We did our radio show last night, and he just told the story about just a you know normal, typical guy who was in the army, went to Tucson, Arizona. Someone said you want to go out to look at. Um, he, he went to Tucson. They said you want to go out and look at Tombstone, Arizona, where the gunfight at the OK Corral was. So he went to the place and he says, as soon as I got there, I knew where everything was. Mm. You know, he'd never been there before, but he was actually, they were in a tour, but he was actually almost became like the the, 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 the tour guide because he said, I bet you that's the city hall and that's the. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The OK Corral, that's the button. And he, he says, I don't know why. He says, I just, he says, it was like I'd been there many, many times. Yeah, just real simple, you know, not anyone who would be prone to exaggeration or anything. In fact, like I said, he's a military guy. He says it's just the strangest thing he's ever felt. Um, yeah, I mean, a couple of nights, well, no, a couple of months ago, the name um, William McAnally came to me as I was watching it through the Royal Marine Band play. And two nights ago, Christopher Warren. And it's just, you've, they're just so clear, those names. And, and then mm-hmm. when you look into them, you think, oh, my word, there's this whole history about this person. Um, and a photo and you can connect um, and, and really understand uh, the loss that family and friends have. It's very powerful. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I, I kind of envy people who have that kind of ability, to tell you the truth. Um, I'd be really interested in knowing what it feels like. Mm. Uh, at the time, to be fair, you, you just know it's something that you need to check out. For me, right. and, and I communicate on different levels, but certainly when those things happen, it's very much about saying, well, why Why is that? What is that person giving me that name for? Why would my guide give me that name? What, what is that for? And in mm-hmm. those moments, it is about remembrance. Um, I, I have had um, what you would call ESP experiences, like you know, some really pretty um, vivid, too. Um, I just say one real quick. We were talking about last night. I was you know, driving along, and I where we live, a little bit north of Boston, and um, going on a curve in the middle of the day, 
And just in my mind, I saw this big black car, a Lincoln Continental, with a guy being, you know, behind the wheel, suit coat on, he has a tie on, but the tie is kind of askew, and he looks a little, you know, frazzled or whatever, and he's pulling out in front of me. And I went around the corner, and that exact same thing happened to me. I, tr I pushed, I hit the brakes. If, if I hadn't hit the brakes, he would have hit me. And it all happened like this. It happened like in two seconds, and, and when it was over, I go, wow, did that really just happen? It was just so out of the ordinary, you know, just out of the ordinary, and then it all goes away, and you say, how did that just happen? But that happened to me, and there's a, a, a couple other instances, too, where it, it's like more than a coincidence. There's no way that this, you know, things have happened, these uh, particular things. There's no way it's a coincidence, or how do I see this thing happen before two seconds before it happened? So strange things do happen. You know, it, to everybody. But it, it, but um, I guess what, what we're talking about is that it, it, someone they happen to people to a bigger degree than others. Absolutely. I, now, I was going to say, um, you mentioned uh, in your new book about um, haunted aircraft, mm -hmm. and and that. Uh, what, what, what kind of what kind of things did you find about a haunted aircraft, sir? Well, you know, this is uh, because I a lot of the uh, fiction books I do, Wingman, you had mentioned, it's a, it, it, you know, it's based around a, a pilot, a Zen pilot, a Zen fighter pilot, who becomes one with the fighter jet and so on. And so aviation is like really what I'm interested in from a military point of view. Uh, but there was, um, so this is, I really wanted to get some really good ghost plane books and uh, ghost plane stories. And this one just is, is really baffling uh, to me. In the early 90s, there's a, uh, well, there's an airport in Orange County, California, the John Wayne Airport. And a lot of people who live around there, I think it's, let's say, a high-priced neighborhood, and it has noise restrictions on it. For instance, you can't take off before 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Uh, you can't make noise over the airport. Um, and there's a certain time at night that you have to land by or you can't land there. So anyway, one Sunday morning, this uh, one of these airplanes um, that they call racing airplanes, it's um, kind of like a, uh, they call them midget races, very noisy, uh, more engine than anything else, shows up over the airport, starts doing acrobatics. So it's, it's so many people saw it that they took down the tail number. And what happens is you report that tail number to the control tower. The control tower's computer automatically spits out a noise uh, complaint, uh, to, and it's automatically sent to you. So uh, that's what happened. The plane, you know, was there for about 15 minutes or so, making a lot of noise, and it took off uh, towards the Pacific. Now, here's the strange thing. The plane was owned by uh, an astronaut named Deke Slayton. He was one of the original Mercury astronauts. He had died four hours before in Houston. The plane was in a garage in, in Las Vegas from a collector who bought it, who signed an affidavit saying, this plane has not left this garage since I bought it years ago from Deke. Yet so many people saw Deke Clayton's plane over John Wayne Airport that morning that they were able to write down the tail number and and thus this uh, you know noise com noise uh, complaint went to his uh, went to his house. So I don't know how you explain that. Hmm. It, it do you find or do you hear about places or things that are haunted, items that are haunted, like planes and ships, on a regular basis? Well, you know, I don't know. I don't think it's – that's a good question because I don't know if it's on a a more regular basis than anything else. But then when you think of it, you, know, you hear more like haunted airplanes and haunted ships than you do, let's say, haunted trains or haunted buses. You know, it does seem like there's more haunted airplanes and – and uh, boats. Uh, another great haunted uh, airplane story is uh, Eastern Airlines Flight uh, 401 that crashed in the Everglades in the early 70s. And half the people on board were killed, half the people survived. But Eastern Airlines, for some reason, I still can't figure out, actually took some of the pieces from the plane, the crashed plane, and, and salvaged them and put them on other planes that were flying. And all of a sudden, the pilot and the flight engineer started showing up on these airplanes. And, and, and being seen by people who flew with them, who knew them. Um, their visions would, you know, walk down the aisle and things of that nature. And then finally, Easton, even though, you know, they were denying it like crazy in the press, I went around, they took off all the old salvage items from all the airplanes and just threw them away. And there's been books written about that incident. I mean, that's just, that is just really way out there. 
That would be. Go ahead. No, I'm just agreeing with him. That would be wow, really freaky. I was just thinking of Mac. If if you were to be told tomorrow there's a there's a, a ship that's docked, it's a haunted ship. There's there's multiple stories about this ship. Would you go and investigate it? Would you go and spend some time on the ship? Uh, yes, I would. You mean would I like stay overnight? That type of thing. Yeah, would you investigate it for a few days? Or? Well, um, sure. You know, if I had the chance, I, I suppose I would because I'd be interested to see, you know, what, uh, you know, what would happen. I know people who've been on haunted ship. There's, there's uh, ships in uh, that are uh, now museum pieces uh, in California. Who you know, the USS Honda being one of them, where you know people go on there and they hear, they hear people talking, they they see people, just strange things happening, and it, it appears to be because. You know, it's the leftover spirits of uh, sailors who died on the on the ship during World War II. So, um, yes, the answer is yes. And have you spent overnight in a haunted location before? <laughs> uh, not on purpose. Um, <laughs> not on purpose. And <laughs> uh, uh, no, no, I haven't done that. Um, I haven't done that. No, I haven't had the opportunity um, to do it. But you know, if someone asked me to. I think I would do it just for, like I say, just for the experience. And when you, yeah, when you when you mention things like cursed subway of to- Tokyo, what what do you mean by cursed and and a cursing? Is that a haunting? Well, um, you know, no one's really sure. But what it is 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 they built these. Uh, I mean, I've never been to Tokyo, but I know people who have, and they say that it's just you know this. It's crowded that everything kind of moves efficiently type thing, and um, they built a, a let's say a, a central hub for all of uh, Tokyo's subway trains, and this is now a, a train station that's 22 levels high. If you can imagine trains coming in on 22 different levels, coming in and leaving, and this goes on all the time, and it's just hundreds of thousands of people who go through this place um, every day. But it's still under construction, and it's and it's new, and it looks very kind of sexy and modern and futuristic. But it's there are stories that people have said that people have either gone down elevators that don't aren't able to come back up. They're going down to places that are still under construction or that were basically built to be added onto later, and and become lost down there. That's how big and grand and confusing and and complicated and complex this place is. Oh, maybe it's uh, a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and you also mentioned uh, monsters in America. And now, do we have monsters in America? I mean, ones that we don't normally know of, like not like a bear or anything like that, but anything stranger than that. Well, you know, once again, come back to this idea that, you know, people see strange stuff all the time. You know, it, I mean, strange things happen in, in our reality all the time. And, and, you know, who knows why? Um, but, you know, there is, we have stories in there of, of people seeing, like, a dragon flying over Burlington, Iowa. I mean, and not, not just a couple people. I mean, people reporting this thing flying over Burlington, Iowa. Or where did it go? Where did it come from? Um, there are stories about... Literally man-eating turtles in in uh, these lakes in Minnesota. Um, the uh, the um, uh, Bridgewater Triangle, which is about an hour from where I live, uh, is a place where people have seen. Not only do they see, and it's one of these hot spots that you know we talk about a lot on our show, where it seems like it's not just UFOs or ghosts. It seems like everything you know that you can imagine is concentrated. Paranormal-wise, is concentrated you know, in this one little area, and people have gone into the Bridgewater Triangle, and they've seen uh, pterodactyls, dinosaur birds. Um, uh, you know, every state in the book, we go through every state, and there's and every state has some kind of a, a, a ghost or a monster that people have seen, a lot of people have seen witnesses uh, you know, to what they're doing, and, um, you know, and then they appear suddenly, and then they go away, which is, is you know, very kind of strange in itself, too, so... Uh, yeah, every state has a monster. We have them all listed there, state by state. Um, I, now, what about the poop monster? <laughs> no, no, everyone wants to know about that. Yeah, that was down in South Carolina. Uh, of course. People, you know, uh, were 
something was, you know, swimming around in the sewers near Charlotte, I think, and they tried to catch it, and they didn't know what it was, but they said that, you know, because it was in the sewer that, well, it looked like poop, you know, so they called it the poop monster. Never caught it, never know where it came from or went, but it was, you know, good size, enough to, you know, concern a lot of people there. Well, especially if they did it. Yeah, now, out of all these monsters, but there's no real, do you think there's more of a psychological um, thing behind this uh, that we don't actually have any, like, you know, Bigfoot and and uh, Sasquatch and all this stuff and the poop monster and all that stuff? Do you think it's kind of something that we just have in our minds? Mm-hmm. Well, um, in a lot of cases, that probably is the, you know, the explanation, but still, the, but a lot of the cases, uh, you know, that we put in the book because we kind of judge them on, you know, how strange they were and how many witnesses there were and stuff like that. And, and like, there's, there's, there's a, a story about in Indiana, this, this, like, monster shows up and it's, it's grotesque. It has, like, three legs and it's bleeding and so on and so forth and it's jumping around in the backyard and attacks a couple kids. But, but then adults came and saw it and then the police came and saw it. And then it was seen later on, like, the next county over. So, you know, why would all, why would children and then the cops and then neighbors and then someone else, a newscaster, saw it? Why would they all be having the same psychological reaction? You know, if, if it's just one-on-one, I could say, hey, maybe something's going on there. But when you have different people and, you know, and witnessing, you know, these things, you know, what could it be other than something that's physical? Yeah. Well, okay, so what's the most surprising thing you learned in doing Haunted America? Mm. Wow, good question. Um, um, just, I think overall that it really does convince me even more that, you know, we, we live in this country, and, and it's really, it's not just America, it's, it's around the world, but we do concentrate a lot on, on America, is that there's so many of us now, there's over 300 million of us, we go about our days and weird things happen to this individual and this individual and this individual, you know, but, and, and then, you know, then the next day starts, okay, and um, we, I, I just got to go back to this, to the, to, to just confirm my belief that weird things just happen here all the time, they just happen to us all the time, we take them as being, you know, kind of routine in a way, you know, odd, or there has to be an explanation, or you're crazy, or whatever, but everyone can't be making these things up. They all can't be hoaxes. People have seen things, you know. So what are these things? You know, we don't know. So if there's something that that scares you, Mac, what would it be? What would well, yeah, I, I think that uh, like I think a seeing a ghost would scare me more than seeing a UFO, frankly, um, because you know UFOs in a way. You could say, well, they're from, well, there could be little green men from Mars, or they could be from here, they could be from this other dimension, and so on and so forth. And, you know, who knows? You know, what, what, is, what is physics going to be telling us a thousand years from now? You know, it's going to be the, the things that are just so fantastic that, you know, we can't comprehend them. But if you see a ghost, if you see someone literally returning from the dead, that's, that's huge. That's even bigger than, you know, people uh, being some other places coming here and Hmm. So what do you got planned next? Uh, are you going to continue on the Wing series? Or are you doing uh, more in the paranormal field? Uh, well, the next next up really is um, doing a uh, series called Codename Starman, which is a story about um, a detective series about a military detective with ESP. And uh, then I'm going to be doing uh, Wingman 19 and Wingman 20. So, uh, you know, a lot of typing ahead, but no complaints. Are you, are you, are you planning on uh, going on any um, paranormal investigations or anything like that? No, not really, no. I mean, you know, if, if the right opportunity came up, I suppose I would go. You know, I've been offered a, a, a couple different things and uh, just chose not to, you know, not to go. But, you know, if it was, if it was something, like, really interesting... And, you know, there was a good chance of actually finding something. Sure, why, you know, why not? Wow, pretty crazy. Um, and what, what did you have any influences in the world in the paranormal area? Any, anybody that you look, look to or you uh, like to watch or read? 
Well, I read, I read all the um, Eric von Däniken books when I was in college, and I, I really got you know swept up in that too. You know, the whole ancient astronauts theory—it's a whole—it's a whole other show, as you know. But you know, there was obviously something going on on this planet about twelve thousand years ago, and there's just so much evidence of you know fortresses and things being built in South America and, and through the Middle East that you know they couldn't have been built by the people around those days. They were basically cavemen, you know. So. I, I really kind of get into that a lot, and um, John Keel, I, you know, I really like, and um, I just like the stories uh, of books uh, written by people who are actually just, you know, really kind of doing something, investigating it, you know, in, investigating things from a scientific point of view, and, and get rid of all the noise. There's so much noise out there in the paranormal world that it, it's distracting, but just go after, like, really good, hard um, you know, uh, evidence uh, circumstances, especially with UFOs, and, and and then I think eventually you're going to find out. We'll, we will find out what they are. I don't think anyone knows what they are. I don't think the U.S. military knows what they are. They have a lot of evidence that they exist, but I don't think they know any more than we do um, because their actions kind of show it. But I think eventually we will solve this puzzle. When I say we, I think it'll probably happen someplace in China or India. I don't think it'll be in the United States. I'm gonna say in maybe about 30 or 40 years. In fact, at the end of UFOs and what time, I asked five researchers, when do you think you're gonna, we're gonna solve the UFO puzzle? And it was all like around 2050 or so was the general um, prediction. Well, so do you believe that um, they are watching us and that they are around and uh, and do you even believe to the fact that the government knows about it and just kind of uh, keeps it on the down low? Or do you think, like, what's your scenario? Well, as I said, I don't think the U.S. military knows, or any military or anyone on Earth knows where UFOs come from. I just don't think they know. But we know that the U.S. military has a lot of evidence that they exist in photographs and in videotapes and eyewitnesses' accounts and so on and so forth. Um, you know, that goes on for miles and miles, the evidence that they possess. Uh, they just released a tape last December of the, the famous Tic Tac UFO now from an F-18. You know, they just think how much they, uh, things like that they have in the vault, how many videos and films they have. Um, but, but I don't see any evidence at all that they know where they come from. I don't see, there's no evidence that, you know, we reverse engineer UFOs to make, uh, you know, spandex or whatever. You know, that's just all... <laughs> That's just like a noise. That's like really noise. You know, if you really want to investigate stuff, investigate like the Gander sighting that I was talking about, you know, uh, and in and, and ones that have like a lot of witnesses and, you know, what's really going on here? What's going on? Because all you have to do is just prove one and then they're all kind of true in a way. But just prove that one. Just have that piece of evidence that cannot be, uh, you know, argued against. And, you know, the puzzle is going to start to unravel. And what what was your end belief in Area 51? Um, Area 51 is exactly what the military, what the government tells us it is. You know, it's a place where top secret weapons, mostly airplanes, are tested. I know people who, who have worked out there. I know people who have been there. It's just that they it, it's in a place where uh, they don't want the public eye to see what they're working on. You know, you have to be someplace. And, you know, what has come out of there? You know, the stealth fighter, the stealth bomber, the U-2, the SR-71, and, and a lot of prototypes that, you know, don't work. But you you, you built the nine prototypes, and the tenth one is the, is, the, is the airplane that you, you know, finally decide on. You know, you're taking all the best characteristics of all the nine failures, quote-unquote. Um, they don't have any UFOs hidden there. And, you know, they, they, they do some strange stuff. There's no doubt about it. But this whole idea that they we have crash UFOs, I'd be incredible. I'd be really, really surprised if, if it's true because, you know, nothing, there's no evidence out there um, that, you know, we have been in contact with people uh, being some other planets. We'd be living a different life. Life would be different. We would be re reverse engineering things. Oh, we'd all be their slaves, you know. Um, they're there. They exist. UFOs exist, but where they come from, I don't believe anyone knows. But I saw it in a movie once. No, I, I, I would think that you would get some backlash by saying that, hey, being in the UFO. Well, you know what? Can you do? You know, I'm just, I'm just speaking my mind, and um, you know, just looking at things that have evidence. You know, things that have evidence, things that are interesting. You know, that's what I go for. <laughs> 
Right. That's a good way to be. It's how we are um, at the show here. Um, now, if a medium, if you could sit down with a medium, would you? As someone who could predict the future, you mean? Well, not so much future, just someone that would go back in the past or tell you about... Protect you with those people around you that have passed over. Oh, okay. I was going to say, let's go to the racetrack. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would beat you to it. Oh, okay. All right. Um, uh, sure, yeah, I would do it. I would do it just to, once again, you know, people go to them all the time. There's, there's got to be something. I know there's a lot of comfort in it. You know, uh, we, we have mediums on the show a lot. And, um, you know, they say, frankly, that people come to them with health problems and, you know, what should I do and that kind of stuff. And they put them at ease. So we at least got that going. But I've also known people who have gone and they, they, they've had their minds blown that these people know so much about them. So I would do it, yes, I would. Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know. Um, <laughs> well, it's been an interesting show. Now, all of your books. Now, do you have a website that you'd like to let listeners know where it is? Sure. It's uh, MacMaloney.com, and um, all the books will be listed there. And also, as I said, we do a radio show, oh, okay. um, a weekly radio show, MacMaloney's Military Exiles, and you can just... Um, uh, Google that, um, Act Maloney's Military X-Files, and you can see the different uh, networks that we're on. And, um, you know, so we're, we're, I got my hand in it, you know, almost every day of the week. Ah, sounds like it. Sounds like it good. Well, we'll have that posted to our website as well. Uh, and, uh, of course, where you can get the books, your website, and any information we have on you will be directly on ours. And um, it's been a real pleasure. It's uh, it's good to have someone that's um, intelligent and talking about these these kind of uh, items, you know, um, unexplained items. It's great to have mm-hmm. you. So thanks very much. I appreciate it. Al, thank you. Great, and thanks a lot. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.